You're nipple shaming Superman. Hello, and welcome to Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode 82. I am not Ryan. I'm Carissa, but I'm pretending to be Ryan. He would have been the host this time. But I'm joined by other nerds. Can you believe it? Matt. Hello. And Rory. Also not Ryan. Also not Ryan, yes. Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am kind of that nerd, because I'm stepping in for that nerd. And this week, the pick of the week goes to the Astonishing X-Men number one. Ryan's pick. Our companion song is Lean On Me by Bill Waters because I think he said, I'm going to try to paraphrase, I'm going to do my best Ryan impression. She needed someone to like hang on and lean on so she called for aid like Gondor so she kind of leaned on these other X-Men so she was leaning on them and to get through their hard time so I'm guessing that's why. (laughs) (laughs) That was deep cuts. (laughs) She called for aid like Gondor. (laughs) Well, she did, like, fab butterfly beacon in the sky. Let's take a listen. You just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to On your brother when you need a hand. And I'll be your friend and I'll help you carry on. <laughs> Astonishing X Men number one, Marvel Comics, Life of X Part One, written by Charles Soleil, pencils by Jim Jung, inks by Mark Morales, Guillermo Ortega, Walden Wong, and colors by Richard Isanove and Rain Ferredo. So, like I kind of alluded to, Psylocke doing her thing, walking through London. Just looking all fine. We see panels of other psychics being attacked, but they're weak psychics, and they've been hermited, so no one's noticing their deaths, and then she's hit by the same attack, but because she's strong, badass Psylocke, she's like, ow, and people notice and stuff. And so while she's going down, she sends out, like I said, the Gondor pink butterfly (laughs) blaze of doom lighting the light. And while she does that, she starts hitting on her other X-Men friends. Not like hitting on like, hey, how you doing? But like hitting on like, they're hit with pink psychic light. So we see Gambit, who's currently trying to rob the Louvre with Phantom X. They're thieving, not very well. Bishop, who's in a library, being very bishopy. Rogue, who's piloting Logan somewhere. And I guess also it looked like Jubilee was hanging out in the back later on, you find out. Where are the other people? Angel. (laughs) (laughs) So I hit the two that I cared about. And people. (laughs) Other people got hit by her psychic blast. Or saw, as we saw, because later on, like, latecomers show up. And they're like, ow, eek, ah, she needs us. And they all react in another way. They show up. She's doing her best kaiju King Kong on top of a skyscraper maneuver. (laughs) And shooting at her and trying to get her to go down. And there's like a psychic storm of pink glass stuff going around rogue gets to her and is like you know what i can do i can do that but it needs to go somewhere or it's just gonna be me being the problem and not you bishop's like oh yeah i can do something with that energy 
And she's like, sweet, cool, let's do this. So she touches Psylocke. She gets all pink and glowy. And then he's like, but it has to be close. And then, you know, typical rogue fashion. I got close for you, sugar. She lays one on him. And I'm sorry, that panel was awesome where she's making out with her hand, you know, sucking Psylocke dry while kissing Bishop and like in finger pointing blast into the sky. I don't know. It was very 80s epic, like side of a van kind of look. I don't know. I dug it. <laughs> These are things Ryan would say, right? Right. We're going with that. Sounds like more stuff Christina might say than Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, they all kind of look around and see who was all there. They ask Logan, oh, you're the guy who killed all of us in your other dimension, right? <laughs> Wait a second. Did you just say finger blast? <laughs> <laughs> That's where she got you. <laughs> Why, yes, I did. Also not Ryan. But they're all looking around and Rogue sees Gambit. He's like, oh, mon cher. He's like, happy to see her. I'm the love of your life. And she's like, oh, I see you came down with a bad case. Oh, don't be like that, Rogue. It's Gambit. <laughs> so I like their little back and forth. That was really cute for me. But that's all really you need to do to win me over when it comes to an X-Men comic. Psylocke says the person who did this to her mind was some word that wasn't very easy for me to remember. It's Farouk. Farouk, okay. It's the Shadow King. Yeah. They're going to go into the mindscape because that's where he rules and they're going to do stuff. And she's like, keeps warning them. All your fears and hates and loves and desires are going to manifest. He'll learn all your secrets and everything about you and turn it against you. And the more you're there, the more he knows. And she goes on and on and repeats it. Which to me is just like, there's going to be a lot of Rogan Gambit coming on to each other that's not really them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hells yeah, I'm on board for that. Some stay behind to guard the body. Beast showed up and they confront him like, hey, aren't you with the inhuman lackey now? not one of us and he's like hey don't be like that <laughs> sad monster face and so as they're going in there you see Farouk with all his spider leg glory in there and him all happy and sinister which you know that's a pretty good sinister face close-up panel that they got there and then he goes to a safe and he opens it up and it's fucking Charles strapped in chains in there and he says he couldn't agree more so I'm not sure if he's on their side or he's just like hells yeah they're coming for me I'm not sure how to take that but so what'd you guys think for me I was kind of not all that super impressed with it. I mean, this wasn't a horrible issue of X-Men, but it didn't really do anything for me. Everybody kind of, hey, let's get together and save Psylocke. And that's like, we need to go to the astral plane. And we do. And then, hey, hey, there's Professor X. So there's that one big reveal at the end, which was kind of cool. But everything else, though, there's just nothing here for me. <laughs> it is kind of like a D&D campaign. Like yep. the first game that you've played. Where yeah. it's like, we need a reason to get everybody together. They hate each other, but they're kind of cool with each other. It's like your 14-year-old D&D game yeah it's like we're gonna meet at the tavern and we're gonna have reasons to argue but we're gonna work together just because i think it did a good job of capturing the whole 90s x-men feel but the Yay. 90s is when i stopped reading the x-men <laughs> well, I got into the X-Men through the 80s with a classic space-hopping X-Men with the Shi'ar. And the New Mutants were still the New Mutants and not the shitty X-Force. <laughs> That's when I got into the X-Men. So the book, I think, is doing what it's intending to do. Because blue and gold are kind of like the original X-Men and the Claremont X-Men. And this is kind of like the Jim Lee during the 90s different covers. You got to collect all 25 different uh -huh. covers. It'll be worth money someday. I mean, the team is literally the 90s X-Men. 
Which I'm like, hells yeah. And Phantom X. <laughs> yeah, Phantom X was definitely the random one. So for people like you and Ryan, this is a great book. The art was fantastic. I really like Jim Chung's art. The art was really good. My favorite page, honestly, was the last page. Because I've been wondering, when the fuck are they going to bring Chuck back? Because you know it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. So uh, now I'm wondering, you know, what body are they going to put him in? I'm sure they'll find another sibling that was still born. <laughs> and, and, like, age them forward. Or they'll clone him from the brain tissue or something. Or he'll be the new Cerebro. But I know he's going to come back probably because of Marvel Legacy stuff that they've been doing. They're trying to put everything back to the way it was before the early 2000s fucked everything. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that Rogue felt like Rogue. Sometimes lately when they were writing her, it hasn't really felt like yeah, her. Yeah, she did. I love that. When he's like, I usually don't feel like I had someone kick me in the head after someone kisses me. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm a real catch. I'm like, yes, that's my Rogue. That's my girl. Yeah, they got the characters spot on. One thing that irritates me, though, about some of the people who draw Wolverine. Is it just drawing Wolverine with white short hair? <laughs> he still looks like Wolverine always has. He just doesn't have the weird ear hair and his hair's white, but no mutton chops. So he doesn't really look like tired old Wolverine and they're not writing him like tired old Wolverine. He's just Wolverine now. I'm not digging Gambit's outfit right now. He could lose the handkerchief. Oh, I like that. Really? That's actually something I liked. I yeah. hated Gambit's outfit before. I think he does a good contrast between him and Phantom X with Phantom X's completely almost white fucking outfit. Yeah. I don't mind Rogue's outfit change. I love Rogue's outfit change. It looks like the original Rogue costume. Mm -hmm. I really love the costumes. The costumes look great. I love that Psylocke actually has clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Bah. Because I'm like, how is she supposed to fight in that? And she's going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready to rate this up? I personally love 90s X-Men. This had all the right feels. There was Rogue and Gambit, so it already automatically goes up a notch. And not only were they in it, but they had some great lines that really made me feel good. Hit close to home. My, like, nostalgia factor. So I'm going to give it four. I see you picked up a bad case of Gambit. I didn't think that there's anything too special about this. It didn't really do much for me. It's like your 14-year-old D&D adventure. Everybody gets together for no real reason. It just felt like a bunch of fluff to me. Give it a bump up for the art. So I'll give it three Bishop Finger Blasts. Yeah, Finger Blasts! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it three. I think they're trying to capitalize on the Legion TV show's ratings. <laughs> so Rory, keeping us in Marvel? Oh, yeah. I got Secret Empire number six, Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, pencils by Lionel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Gillen, and Lionel Francis Yu, colors by Sonny Cho and Java Targaglia, additional art by Rod Reese, Joshua Kassara, and Rachel Rosenberg. We start off with the revelation that younger, as I like to call him, Nom Cap, is hung upside down with this other dude in red skull drags one of them off or something i'm assuming since he's eating steak later that he drugged the guy off and carved him up for food that's what i thought too my dude red skull cannibal yeah i was just re-flipping through this right now and i'm like i did not realize that before oh my god <laughs> like don't worry about it you're not gonna see him again because like, you're eating him <laughs> that's gross red skull reveals that as we have kind of guessed at earlier is that they are in the afterlife and it's actually hell so that's kind of an interesting little thing going on there then you flash back to new york which is currently surrounded in a 
a dark force bubble and shit. And so you've got Daredevil drops in on some guys and starts kicking some ass and runs into Kingpin. And they have a discussion about what his motives are. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? You're, you're going to bust my guy's heads for delivering food to the hospital. And then he reveals to him the whole thing. I mean, which he'd already said in previous issues. He's telling Daredevil that it's like, well, you know, people are going to fucking owe me for this shit. You know, and that's what I'm going for with this. Continue on with the Red Skull thing. He talks about how they're in hell. And then he's like asking him, like, you don't remember me? And they're showing pictures of Red Skull in his Nazi outfit, all this stuff. Apparently, Cap can't remember who he is for some strange reason. Kind of understands now, but not really very well. Red Skull decides he's going to start torturing him since he's got him hanging upside down. So he grabbed the baseball bat that he'd used and... The Lucille-esque. The baseball bat that he had before, he sticks in the fire and, like, burns him and stuff. There's also a bunch of fallout going out with Black Widow and the rest of the Resistance fighters. They're not really digging being... Terrorists? Yeah, being terrorists and going through the whole Red Room stuff. The fact that Black Widow won't tell them anything. And, like, there's just all kinds of disarray going on amongst them. She's just like, you've just got to do what you're told if there's a mission and you don't need any details. We have what I thought was the fun part where Cap is closing in on the mount and he's got all of his ships and stuff and they're trying to blast open the defenses where all the other superhero resistance is. Everybody's like sitting there and they're waiting and they've been sent is trying to kick in the doors and Scarlet Witch is trying to use her magic. They've got everything accounted for except for when they bring out Bruce Banner. There was a real cool scene where Cap is talking to him and Bruce Banner he's like sitting there and he's telling him these are the people that killed you and they only used you and he He's like, oh, I generally agree. He goes, but it's like, you're fucking Hydra. He tells him he can go fuck himself. And that's when Cap turns to him and he goes, oh, I wasn't talking to you, Bruce. And then Bruce Banner's eyes go green from that. <laughs> so I thought that, that was a really cool scene. I was very disappointed that when the Hulk smashes in the doors to the fortress as everybody's getting into an argument because they find out that Ant-Man, Scott Lang is a Hydra spy. Because they have his daughter, Cassie. Hydra got his daughter, and so he felt the need to betray everybody. So while they're arguing, that's when the Hulk comes ripping through the wall, because obviously nothing's going to stop the Hulk. The shit hits the fan, because here's the Hulk coming in here, who's been apparently resurrected from the dead, but only temporarily. He goes through, and the thing goes up against him to try and save Hawkeye, and then Raz pulls out these robots that look like all the Avengers, and those go and fight the Hulk to keep distracted. I kind of felt that the usage of the Hulk was kind of disappointing. It was a cool setup scene, and then he, like, comes in and kicks in the door and then dies. <laughs> That's what they got him for, though. It fucking pissed me off. I'm hopeful that we're going to see Banner again someday. Seriously, that's what I was hoping for, too, is I was hoping that they were bringing back Bruce Banner to stay, but that didn't happen. So as the fortress is falling apart and everybody else has escaped, Cap and Tony Stark AI have their little last second talk. Cap has used some Ultron technology to keep him solid so he can actually kill him. Tony gives him this big speech about how he's sorry, and then Madam Hydra notices that there's like some sort of energy spike. She runs in there, casts a spell that teleports Cap out, and then boom, there's like this big, huge nuke on the base. So it's safe to say that Tony Stark AI is not going to survive. <laughs> I'm sure Ruby was smart enough she made a backup. Then we see Black Widow, and she's sitting there having a drink as she's listening to the radio report of the subversive base being destroyed. There's no survivors, and then she's like, Hydra's won, all of our friends are dead, we're killing Cap. There's a lot of stuff in 
this one? I liked a lot of this stuff. I thought it was a pretty good issue. What do you, what do you guys think? For me, what always bugs me is I feel like there is too much going on. Like, I wish mm-hmm. they just would focus on one part because I get overwhelmed by too much happening. I think that at points, it kind of gets a little bit too much with the jumping back and forth. I did like the Hulk returning, for sure. I was kind of disappointed that it was only like a five-second Hulk return. I was honestly hoping they would bring him back and then something about the Hulk was going to make it so that he was permanently healed. But then, like, the Hulk remembers, wait, this is my house because that's what the mount is. Yeah. And wait, the Hulk doesn't actually like Hydra. <laughs> he might be <laughs> angry with these people, but no, this isn't right. I'm personally, I'm tired of Secret Empire. I think it's gone on too long. They even extended it, I believe, by two issues. I think this story has gone on too long, and I don't understand the point behind having the side books, because there's a couple of Secret Empire side books, Mm. where the story of Widow and her idiots, I'm sorry, the champions. (laughs) Hey, I actually like those ones. (laughs) As her little Mm mini-team, it's just kind of fucking dumb. (laughs) We're gonna go kill Cap, and I'm like, how about you go kill Cap? Or, I don't know, go find some assassins, because I'm sure you know some. Why didn't Hawkeye do it? He's good at killing heroes. (laughs) I'm still not okay with Hawkeye, by the way. I don't think I'll ever like Barton again. It moved the plot along. Not as fast as I'd like it, but it moved it. I am grateful that it does seem like it is moving the plot forward, because before I feel like it just was dragging out there for a long, long while. I think that Skull and Cap are not in hell. I think that's just how Skull verbalized it. I think Ah. they're probably in some sort of cosmic cube side reality thing. They're the aspects of the correct universe, but because the Cap rewrite thing happened, Mm -hmm. it's like he's out of whack. That's why it's all kind of like spacey. It's kind of like a purgatory. Not necessarily necessarily literally hell it weirdly reminds me of that gomorrah issue where it showed that bit of her still stuck in the soul stone i thought it was pretty good a little bit too long a little bit too disjointed but there were definitely some scenes that made it for me like thor in the back everybody thinks they're gonna have to fight him and he's like go the hulk coming back even though briefly was good i'm gonna give it three and a half clobbering times it had some parts that were interesting with moving the plot forward it gets a little overwhelming for me with all that's going on so i'm gonna give it three black widow tears She's crying while drinking. I'll give it three. Can we have Banner back, please? Tomorrow we kill Captain America. It's easy. We kill the captain. So our next book is The Wildstorm Number 6 by DC Comics, written by the wonderful Warren Ellis, pencils and inks by the justified John Davis Hunt, and colors by the, damn it, not another J-word, John Bucoletto, and, <laughs> God damn it, another one, John Kalij. I fucking love this series, and I'm so sad that it's a miniseries. It makes me not happy, because it's so good, <laughs> but it's so good because... Because I know Wildstorm, and this is like a celebration of the good parts of Wildstorm. Warren Ellis is really good at doing long, short stories. To get the the good feeling out of this book, or the kind of the good understanding, this book isn't for everybody. This is literally for people who enjoyed Wildstorm. Yeah. It's a lot of in-references. Everybody in this, even like the side characters in a Wildstorm book back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the stories, they're still trying to kill Bloodshot, the man whose apartment gets attacked. He's getting offered a job by Storm watch by Trelane and she's down there going all right can we do this we'll give you your own team you can pick whoever you want to take out just as long as you don't 
doing our jobs, medical treatment, support, a new apartment. So he takes the job, and then we click over to the other side story that's going on, which is the story of Wildcats. Because before it was IO versus Stormwatch, IO was International Operations, this deep shadow organization, and Stormwatch is this other deep shadow organization. And in this Wildstorm universe, we find out that they pulled straws, and IO took the Earth, and Stormwatch took every fucking thing else. <laughs> IO's viewpoint on it is that the Earth is the only place that we can actually live. Everywhere else sucks. And Stormwatch is like, uh, sure. Go with that. I get the rest of the universe. All right. I have a feeling that Henry Bendix is an asshole. He's a right bastard. <laughs> I think he actually wants the Earth, too, and he's just kind of biding his time. They're building up the Wildcats. John Davis Hunt is a fucking fantastic artist. Yeah. So and true. he's like John Cassidy was back in the day. <laughs> John Davis Hunt pairs really well with Warren Ellis's fucked up brain. The level of detail and the way it looks, he gets Bendix. I mean, this is how Bendix looks. There's just the little details, like the Martian expedition from 1955 that makes me have massive amounts of hope that I'm gonna see fucking planetary in this. The book is a general book for anybody. It wouldn't be all for just anybody, right? This is for long-term fans of Wildstorm. Warren Ellis is just the master at his craft. I think it's good. What do you guys think? I am that everybody that you speak of. I did not really know much of Wildstorm, so I get lost. But given that, it's not not enjoyable, but man, the best thing for me, not being a huge Wildstorm fan, is just John Davis Hunt. That artwork, man. I read it and enjoy it just for his artwork alone. It's just phenomenal and creepy and detailed. I love it. I can't say enough. I've got a kind of a unique perspective on this one, just because being a Wildstorm fan, yes, totally agree that this is kind of like porn for us. Com- <laughs> <laughs> what I will say, though, is that I've kind of recognized that that was the flaw of the storytelling thus far. But this is the episode where I think that if you weren't a Wildstorm fan, this one kind of like starts to key you in because they actually start explaining shit in this one, which is something that they probably should have done much, much earlier on in the series. <laughs> that being said, I mean, we pretty much know that this is not written to try and attract new fans. I don't think I think this is just written for us. I didn't think it was super fantastic, but as a standalone book. But for myself, it was. So I'm going to give it four fires from heaven. I personally am enjoying the shit out of this, but I do realize that pretty much if you were a Wildstorm fan, this is your thing. If not, not so much. But this is the episode where they actually started to let the stuff out, so it actually starts making sense for those who have not read the thing. So I'm going to give them a bonus for that. I'm going to give it four Mars Expedition 1955. Fuck yes. I don't know a lot about the Wildstorm world. I say it is interesting, though I mostly enjoy it from John Davis Hunt's artwork. So that being said, I'm going to give it a mid-range two and a half. Taking your face off and meditating. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I like it. So that moves us on to Doctor Strange, number 23, Marvel Comics, written by Dennis Hopeless and art by Nico Henrikan. We really hate ourselves with the names of the people who do these books. (laughs) I feel bad. They do hard work. My name gets butchered all the time in real life, so I'd feel bad. This would have been my pick of the week if it was my pick. I personally really love this book. But then again, I, as no one, no surprise, everyone knows, I really like Dennis Hopeless's writing. So we're back with Doctor Strange, Jessica Drews, aka Spider-Woman, and the Kingpin. The Kingpin had just fired off Blast out of some random demon skull he picked up out of an old witch's safe of dark magic doom. But we go to more 
or do. And he's bad guy monologuing to Daredevil, which is kind of funny because Daredevil just really doesn't care. Kind of egging him on and pissing him off, which works because then he summons monsters. He's like, oh, I'm going to go hurt some of your friends. He's like, you should have stuck with meditating. Back in the safe, Fisk is holding this demon skull that's kind of ominously smoking still. Steven's like freaking out like, oh my God, what the cost? No, don't touch that. And it's like, he does like a rundown of different artifacts that are laying around in the safe trying to like pick the lesser of evils and also explaining to Jessica what they do. There's like a horn, but then if you survive it, you only get bleeding ulcers and maybe a few brain tumors. There's another that's a dagger that will make you ravenously greedy and your enemies blood to gold. And then there's the sweet necklace that you get to summon an army of ghost bears, but one night a month you turn into a werebear, which to me, that seems pretty cool. And I, my spirit animal being Jessica Drew, she said the exact same thing. That's how I know that she's my comic match because I love her. They're going back and forth. He's like, these are all bad side effects. And I like how he's, no, you're too cynical. You know, your areas of gray would do a lot of damage with that. With Stefan's reaction. Jessica going, oh, I'll take it then. And then they're saying, well, you can't do Kingpin because he's just all sorts of evil. And they'll just latch onto that. And then I like how they go to, they're like, oh, but he's the purest soul I've ever encountered. He's lily white through and through. And he's like drawn to like this glowing white thing. And he's like, that's undeniably cool. I feel like that's how most nerds would be like in a room like that. Steven sticks his fingers in Spider-Woman's head to give her a third eye so she can see the direness of the situation. And you see like this weird smoke demon totally encompassing Kingpin. And he's like, yeah, that's our second biggest problem. Once she sees it, she's like, give me the necklace. I don't give a fuck. I'll be a werebear. Which I'm like, yes, do it. Spider-Woman is a werebear. I'm down. Write that shit, Dennis. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, that armor that comes flying in and starts attacking the demon. And Steven starts laughing. He's like, well, that's an unexpected twist. And then just at that time, as Mordu is like chilling down the streets of, of New York, Daredevil in tow in that little prison bubble with like all his monsters and they run into the defenders. And it's like they're fighting. So they start fighting the beasties and calling dibs and everything like that. So one of my favorite parts was, and I posted this earlier, how it wraps his tongues around Iron Fist and he's like, untongue me. And it just seems like <laughs> dirty and funny. And I don't know, maybe I just have a weird mind, but I thought that was hilarious. That was. Untongue me, knave. <laughs> Luke Cage gets pissed because he explains how trying to get trash stink off of him takes a long time. Oh, that was hilarious. Dennis Hopeless, there's all these little one-liners that are just great timing, perfect, and just funny as hell. I like that Matt was like, he might look like a chump, but he's hiding a serious god complex under those Slytherin robes. <laughs> That's another one. I totally laughed at that too. From that battle with Mordu traps Cloak inside a magic book before he could teleport him away because he thought he had just enough juice to do one teleportation and he trapped him. So then we jump away from back from that fight with the defenders back to the glowing white knight that and the smoke demon over fist. Favorite part is, and I think you guys probably would have known that when uh, turns him after he's done. He's, I might have gotten a little carried away. LARPing always did bring out my brutal side. And Steven's like, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, LARPers represent. <laughs> I was ecstatic seeing that. Then they start making D&D references. They're like, light-based weapons don't harm their hosts. And he's like, advanced D&D arms equipment guide. Oh, that was great. That was hilarious. So they start making some really great nerd references that just made me so, so happy. And everybody, including Strange, is getting them. Yeah. And Jessica's like, I've had enough bad dates. <laughs> they make paladin jokes. They just make tons and tons of D&D jokes. And it's like, they're not wrong. Then there's a sentient 
biplane fueled by the pain of everyone it kills that starts coming down them because they've escaped and they're joining the fight that was on the street with Mordu and the Defenders. So they got him standing here. He's like, see, you know this. This I can work with. It's like that Avengers shot from Avengers 1 where they, it circles around mm-hmm. and they all get together for no reason. <laughs> they did that in Guardians 2, Guardians Volume 2. There's a group shot like that too. It's an epic shot. I liked the run before. I think Dennis Hopeless is really doing it justice. I know it was announced that Donnie Cates is going to take over for Doctor Strange, which we love, Baby Teeth. So I'm looking forward to that. Dug it. I thought it was funny. Lots of good scenes. And I definitely was not bored reading this one. So that, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a good read. I'm a nerd, so it irks me that Daredevil's in this bubble here. And <laughs> in the Secret Empire book, he was talking to Kingpin. Also noted. Trying to figure out, did that take place before this or after this? It definitely helps with believability when you have continuity in the same week. Yeah. Yeah. That was my only problem with it. I liked it, but the art is fun. The writing is really fun. I like Mordu not being such a serious fucking pastiche of himself. I definitely agree with that. I like Mordu the way they're writing him. He's a dude who learned magic and is an asshole. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And I like that he kind of does the cliche villain-esque stuff, too, because this kind of makes it more fun. I think he's conscious of it, too, though. Yeah. Yes, I think so too. I love this. I gave it four and three quarter questionable taste in men lifelong. <laughs> I'm going to give it four LARPing always did bring out my brutal side. <laughs> I'm going to give it four sentient biplane fueled by the pain of its every kill. Yes, it is. Oh, that was mm-hmm. my other choice. That is a good one. <laughs> I like that one. Rory, I believe you have a comic we have been longing for in the making. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I have Batman number 27, DC Comics, War of Jokes and Riddles, interlude, Ballad of Kite Man. Fuck yeah, Kite Man. Fuck yeah, Kite Man. Written by Tom King, pencils by Clay Man, inks by Danny Miki, John Livesey, and Clay Man, not Clay Face. Colors by Gabe L. Tab. I got <laughs> fucking, I don't know, Gabe, sorry. <laughs> So this story is great. It starts off with this guy who's hanging out at the bar, talking about how he studied wind in school, and kind of like talking about the science of it. And then like Batman kind of like comes stomping in and like drags him out. He's like, you know, there's a way to contact the Joker. Find it. So the guy goes and he talks to Deadshot, who kind of like almost blows his freaking head off <laughs> the guy's kind of like a just like a goon you could tell he's not the major crime guy it's like he's just kind of for some reason he's gotten in with these group of thugs and he's basically forced into it by batman he's trying to set up this meeting with the joker and then eventually he's successful and it's like he gets captured by the Riddler. Clayface absorbed him. Because the Riddler's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you talking to Joker? Clayface basically walks up behind the guy and like sucks him in and takes him to Riddler. We find out the guy's name's Charlie Brown. His name is Chuck Brown. He makes a point of that at the beginning of the book. And then we find out later, your son's name is Charlie? Charlie Brown? He does the same yeah. thing he did with the prison guard. He gets the kids' information and like their address and all that and looms it over them. He gets set up with the Riddler. And then, of course, Batman ends up showing up and finding him in another bar as he's drinking himself stupid. And then there's like this cool scene where like there's this big old fight where the Riddler and Batman and Joker and all their cohorts are there like fighting. And Joker is dragging off Charlie or Charles Brown brown and like sitting on the couch i love that scene they're just like both sitting there bored on the couch watching tv (laughs) 
what happens is that then Batman meets up with him and he's like, your son's safe as promised. Where did the Joker take you? And then he opens up his vest and he's got like a bomb vest on there. And he's like, sorry, Batman, you know, he made me do it. And he like hits the button and it doesn't go off. Mm-hmm. So this guy's like in the worst possible position because he's basically caught in between. He's just some average street level thug or he's not even that much. I don't think he's caught between the Batman, the Joker and the Riddler. And turns out that his son is like flying kite and stuff like that and he's like oh you like that you know and he's like hell yeah you know and he's like oh you shouldn't say that so what happens eventually is that the riddler actually poisons the string of the kite of his son way before any of that stuff went down he knew that he was going to betray him at one point or another so he poisoned the fucking poor kid's kite that's what the snapping point of this guy is and he ends up siding with the joker and he's kite man i'm sorry but it is long i've heard batman's fucking origin story at least three times a fucking issue we've heard a retelling of the joker about a million fucking times we have heard retellings of pretty much all of the batman villains so it's high time that we find out where kite man came from hell yeah considering he's batman's true arch nemesis Fuck yeah. I'm sorry. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The second you see him drawing the semicircle on the big ass sheet of green cloth, I'm like, all right, what character is he going to (laughs) become? So I'm like, I've done that semicircle before for Renfair and I know what he's making. Mm-hmm. Part with the Riddler, where he's talking about his son being Charlie Brown. One, he had time to redo the carpets with little question marks. But he's like all sitting there all sexy looking Magic Mike, like Channing Tatum posed these panels looking Riddler. It's very weird to me and distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the shirt open, even like the face with like the jaw and the face, it looks like Channing Tatum for Magic Mike. Did they watch that for their reference drawings? What's going on? This view of the Riddler has made him like like an Irish bruiser or like the world's tallest leprechaun. <laughs> Except in American Gods. Hell yeah, Kite Man. I love that Tom King loves Kite Man and that he did this. All right, so let's rate this bitch up. I really enjoyed this. Finally, something different. I just really enjoyed what they did with this. So I'm going to give this four and a half. Fuck yeah, Kite Man. I'm going to give it four and a half. I need to see my son. And fuck yeah, Kite Man. I'm going to give it four and a half. Is it a joke or is it a riddle? <laughs> that was another good one. He's like, it's almost funny. The Joker, when he's on the couch. That's almost funny. It's almost funny. Kite Man? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I almost expected that to break the Joker out of his... Uh... Yeah, almost make him smile. That's like the end of the series. <laughs> that would be the greatest prank ever. Was it the whole war of jokes and riddles was just ended with Kite Man? <laughs> and he's the real hero. <laughs> and then you just see Selena going, what? <laughs> She's like, I fought that dude like five times. I scratched a hole in his kite. He was used. The wedding's off. I'm going to go to Metropolis. Oh, shit. Speaking of Metropolis. Speaking of Metropolis. Superman number 27. Look, Ryan, we transitioned real well that time. We did real good. Family vacation time. Uh, Unfortunately. Oh, God. Superman number 27, DC Comics, Declaration. Written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Pencils and inks by Scott Gladuski. And colors, oh, God, not again, by Gabe Iltabe is apparently the only colorist at DC Comics. <laughs> Here, you do Batman and Superman. You guys do everything else. So, anyways, this book was shit. Yeah, this book was shit. <laughs> it was literally like those very special issues that are not supposed to be actually one of the issues of a comic, but like they give out for free or they support some cause or something like that 
Yeah. And they teach a lesson. It was like the G.I. Joe PSAs, of, but a full fucking comic. Seriously. Knowing these, the art on this wasn't really all that bad. No, it's just that the story was just like, are you on a vacation? Yeah, like explain the coexist bumper sticker I thought was very strange. I don't think anybody at all, one, gives a shit. Two, the Ankh is not a fucking Wiccan symbol. Yeah. I'm like, wait, did you try? Like, did you even try i didn't mind this issue like i thought it was kind of hometown caring like it was i like seeing that kind of real life aspect it was okay again i think it's a little disruptive in the middle of what's been all going on so i thought the timing and placement of it was weird here's the thing i'm a homeschooler right and we do this to my children everywhere we go and there's something to teach them yes that is a thing that homeschoolers do don't want to see that in a comic book nope also your entire disguise is fucking glasses do not goddamn wear a blue shirt with red fucking shorts because there's not a person on the planet that's not gonna look at you and go you know you look a lot like superman and if you see the panel where he's talking after the guy says he got offered a job his leg proportions it's like they realized they ran out of room and they stuck like lois's legs on them one they're way too short and way too skinny with i mean you guys talk about disproportion that panel is really bad yeah no i agree all right look Let's rate this bitch up. Two special lessons that you need to learn. One, don't fucking do a book like this. Two, learn how to draw nipples. Two and three quarters for me because I do like the everyday kind of look into superheroes. I just think it was horrible timing. And there's just some, in general, the art's really good. But then there's just these one glaring parts that are just like screaming out to me from certain panels, which obviously I just took the time to point out. Two and three quarters, weird areolas. I'm going to give it two that's what she said three days ago ms marvel number 20 marvel comics thank god it's not dc mecca part two written by g willow wilson pencils and inks by marco falio colors by ian herring this one starts off with kamala's brother is like being interrogated because he didn't disclose himself as having superpowers and apparently he had one time where he flicked some electrical powers or something like that brief but he does have this nice soliloquy that's kind of like talking shit about terrorism and like they never look like me <laughs> so what happens is they're like on this big push to get rid of superheroes and get them out and get things back to quote-unquote normal and so that's what this whole issue is about kamala got electrocuted apparently by one of these two super villains the ones that used to be on the carol core like junior carol core squad G.I. Joe Villain 1 and G.I. Joe Villain 2. Yeah, because that's what they look like. So she eventually wakes up after having like this hallucination of her ex-boyfriend and goes and runs into this rally where the new mayor, who really looks like a Batman villain... is a Hydra villain instead. Yeah, he's a Hydra villain, and he's saying how he wants to get it back to normal and not have superheroes getting in the way of economic growth. And then he sees her out in the crowd, and he's like, and you're going to go behind bars and she gets in this fight with these lame G.I. Joe superheroes, one of them which has their superpower is drone wasps, essentially. And the other one has something to do with force fields or something? Yeah, it's like, you're not really clear what they could do. Anyways, they fight with Kamala... And then eventually one of the heroes, as they come to a stalemate, they call out this big giant literal gunship. It looked like something out of like the Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> it's like this giant 
aerial literal gunship pops out and blows up the area where Kamala's at. They're like, oh, she could have gotten away. And then Kamala does actually pop into the office of the previous mayor, who I guess is like sympathetic with her. Somehow they managed to figure out that that's where she'll be going. And so Discord and what was the other fucking knifey boy and stab man show up and they're unloading all of these inhumans that they've rounded up and arrested to like get her to come out. And so the one with the mask, whatever the fuck their name is, Kamala like starts noticing. It's like, you know too much about it. It's like he pulls out her brother. So it's like, whoever it is, is somebody that knows her. I'm guessing it's probably going to be like her ex-boyfriend or something like that. He's Bruno because with all the tech and he was away in Wakanda. They're studying tech at the university there. Yeah, that's my guess, too. It's really obvious, and it's really kind of lame. But back to Matt's <laughs> complaint about Doctor Strange and its placement and timing with Daredevil. It's like, where is this in Secret Empire? I totally agree. I mean, they've got a little bit of the... Hydra-esque stuff going on? Yeah, because the mayor's all Mr. Hydra. And it kind of doesn't really pay attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. So, yeah, it's like, where is this? A few issues back, the champions are looking for Kamala. So, it's like, is this where she's at? Is this what's going on? Yeah, she's hydra in Jersey City. <laughs> because I thought Jersey City, I think she'd mentioned like the bubble or something, but they're saying about taking people back to New York. And I'm like, really? How do you get through that dark force field? <laughs> I think that this book has kind of lost itself. Miss Marvel was a really good book before. I think they restarted it completely, like restarted the numbering. It was a fantastic book before, and then they did Secret Wars. And when it came back, it just didn't feel right. It just doesn't have the feel of Miss Marvel to it anymore. It just seems like another I'm giving half a shit comic. The villains even. These are just like, hey kids, create a villain and we'll put them in the book. Yeah. Bubble Boy and Mask Man. <laughs> yeah, they're just lame third rate villains and I mean Kamala was a really fantastic character and now it's just kind of there. Usually I enjoy Ms. Marvel. I gotta say, this this one I definitely was kind of disappointed with. She feels more like Kamala in Champions than she does in her own book. It's not the character. It's just, they're just not doing the book right. Every villain they come up with seems like a Stanley character after he left Marvel. Because he hasn't created anything good since he left Marvel. Which, since he stopped working with Kirby, <laughs> just saying. The Acme-style gunship was really lame. The story wasn't that interesting. The supervillains weren't that interesting. Not really digging this one. This one was kind of a disappointment for me. So I'm gonna give it... It's one and a half wake up. I don't think it was unreadable. It wasn't very interesting. I mean, there were parts that were okay. It just didn't feel like that strong message that Miss Marvel usually carries. I feel like a lot of that strong messaging that Kamala had is showing up in Champions more than in her own book, which is kind of disappointing. Again, my complaints about the timeline and where it is in regards to Secret Empire is also a little disjointed. And give it two and a quarter. I'm guessing that's Bruno in that armor. I'm going to give it two G.I. Joe villains. It's just, I want it to get back on track and it, I just don't feel it. All new Guardians of the Galaxy number six, Marvel Comics Beyond Electric Dreams written by Gary Duggan and Pencils and Eeks by Aaron Cooter and Colors by Ive Scorvincina. So I really liked last issue. They're yelling at Gamora saying she's not acting like herself and they think that she's just off and I like how they use the word obfuscating herself from them. She's obsessed with getting the Infinity Stones and then she calls out Drax saying, yeah, well, you were there with me too. I found out we left part of our souls behind in the Soul Stone when we died. And that's why I'm obsessed because I want to be whole again. There's some Gamora punching Quill. 
And I really dig the Gamora in her little scaly mermaid costume outfit in the flashback scene inside the Soul Stone. <laughs> they definitely are showing Warlock a lot more, so I think they're gearing up for that. So the Shi'ar start to attack the Milano and they disable it. And their vulture raptor looking ship looks a lot like the Milano, but there's this black and more evil looking. And they're like, oh, we think that maybe you might have stolen your ship from them. They bust in there. They cut into the walls of the bunk rooms in the Milano and pulled out a humanoid looking skeleton in an old space suit. They fight and that's what really what they're trying to escape with. Rocket gets a hair up his ass like, oh, hell no. And he goes after them into space and he only manages to rip one of the gloves and part of a broken arm skeleton arm off with it he drags that back to the ship Groot does pretty good he totally attacks and like he jumped on the eyes and blinded one of the attackers and the leader attacker is like you're worthless you got killed by a ficus which was pretty funny so they get back and they have the arm and they realize that it has negaband on it really old tech really powerful but then they also realize that the shiar that attacked them have the other one and that's not good so they need to go collect that and make sure that doesn't happen but their ship is still technically this disabled and as, as they're starting to gather their plans rocket bends over and is in pain and dying because he's been poisoned by whatever the shiar had on his claws must have had some sort of poison quill apparently being the person of reason decided to have some sort of medbay on their ship when everyone else didn't and they're rushing to try and save him and rocket's like stop carrying me and cuddling me and creating me lovingly i'm gonna kill you i think you'd rather be annoyed by me carrying you than be dead and not which i thought was pretty cute quill's talking about can't leave me here with drax having a nervous breakdown and two cosmic elders and murdering each other he's like and Groot goes to another part of I'm not sure what planet that is it's some utopian looking space planet where this weird mushroom looking ship is crashing into it and as they do they're like this is my land I seeded it now who's hungry and it shows four different flora colossuses coming out of the ship and they're like old school Groot when he first appeared angry tree motherfuckers and they want to go and kill some meat bags they don't like people so we'll see where that's going. That was real interesting. The rest of it was just felt very much like, almost like a lead up, like if you're playing a D&D game where like, oh, you got attacked and they got away, but they left a little clue for you for your next mission adventure. What'd you guys think? I like that it did seem like an in-between campaigns issue. That seems to be our theme this week is D&D campaigns. Yes. I like the art that they have in this book. It seems kind of a little European to me. Kind of reminds me of the art that's on the Valerian books and a little bit of Mobius, a little French. I'm really kind of digging it. I think it works really well for Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that the current creative staff have the feel of the book down because it feels like Guardians of the Galaxy and it kind of got lost there for a little bit. They've got really good camaraderie working together. It feels like a family of ne'er-do-well crazy psychopaths that are just kind of flying around the galaxy getting into some shit. Mm. I do have to wonder though about these negabands because I've only ever seen one person with negabands. Yeah. The one person with negabands is Captain Marvel and those got passed on to I think his daughter and his son so I'm like who the fuck is in this spacesuit? Well we're also leading up to Legacies and I know Captain Marvel's in Legacy. Ah. So I'm wondering if this is going to kind of lead up to that and he might come back. All right. I guess we're rating this up. I'm going to give it three and a half. You got killed by a ficus. I'm going to give it three trash eating bastards. I will give it three pairs of negabands. All right. So we got Totally Awesome Hulk number 21, Marvel Comics Weapons of Mutant Destruction Part 4, written by Greg Pak. 
Pencils and inks by Robert Gill. Colors by Nolan Wooder. There's some kids. Robert Edwards Andrews. That the facility has gotten. They bring him in. They start doing their little brainwashing techniques and try and get him ready for all this stuff. And then they're starting putting him into all the different science experiments and stuff. And they're talking about how they weren't sure whether or not their changes are going to work out. But they're using him as kind of like an experiment. Apparently, he's not completely brainwashed like all the other ones have been. And so they're trying to use him as not like a control but as like a, a different way of doing things, like taking somebody who's not completely brainwashed and seeing if that'll work. And there's like two. There's like one, the guy that's willingly loyal, like he doesn't yes. need to be brainwashed. He's like, yeah, gung-ho. And then they had some other random dude who wasn't at all. Yes. Which you don't know who that is because he had the whole like old Weapon X helmet thingy on his head. Well, the other dude with the black hair, he's the more disciplined Wolverine-like guy. Yeah. From some of the pictures, I think he's the one that becomes Weapon H. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Weapon H gets thrown into the sun because i'm fucking tired of this <laughs> then it turns out that show has found the location of the facility they're having a big long discussion about how they're going to handle this and show of course wants to do it the nice way Sabretooth just wants to bomb the freaking place it actually gets into a really cool scene where Sabretooth decides to start some shit with uh, show to me it's like i didn't really think about it up until the second that it happened but it's like Sabretooth is talking shit to him and then he's like i'm just gonna say this once and it's like oh yeah that's right he's the fucking hulk so <laughs> <laughs> I love the fight scene that goes on here. Though. Yes, like that was the best part, I think. Wolverine just like, I'm the daddy here, and I'm just letting my, my idiot kids fighting it out. <laughs> Animals, gotta let them work it out. It was a neat fight scene. Yeah, it was a cool fight scene. Sabretooth ends up throwing Hulk out of the plane that they're in, and then detonating the bomb as he's falling, and so it's, Cho hits the ground, and then like immediately like rips his way right back through the ship as he jumped right back up there, and just starts beating on Sabretooth. <laughs> and he's like, I just wanted to see a little fire. <laughs> oh, that was just great. Seeing Cho whoop ass. Then shortly after that, they end up showing up at the facility in the guise of pizza delivery drivers. So it was a fun little issue, I thought. They didn't really move the plot along very much, which kind of sucked. What did you guys think? I like that they won over Domino by saying that she could raid their, the bank vaults of the bad guys. <laughs> Look, if you just want to steal stuff, you take something around here. It's worth a few million. Mm -hmm. She's like, hey, I just like to get paid. Yeah, she's like, let's do this. There's a couple of cool scenes in here. Like, looking a little like the old Hulk there, huh? What? No. Oh, yeah. Out of control. Hulk yeah. smash. <laughs> that was great. I have to confess that this is actually what I was hoping was going to happen in Secret Empire. I was hoping that Cho and Banner were going to square off. That's what I was hoping. Oh, shit, yes. That would have been great. But we also have that same question of how is this going on at the same time Secret Empire is going on? Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Because Hydra's okay with them creating these fucking monstrosities? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Cho's been running around with the champions and old man Logan was just kicking it with Rogue going into the Mindscape or whatever it was. Is this before Astral Plane or after Astral Plane? Oh, well, it's comic oh, books, it. right? Can't take it too seriously. <laughs> but the last panel, though, is just fucking epic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Special delivery. Yeah, it almost had like a dude, where's my car feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Back to the whole Union Adventure. It's like the wacky plans you come up to. We're just going to go up there and pretend that we're like a minstrel party. We're yeah. going to be the pizza <laughs> delivery dudes. Seriously. That's definitely the feel that this one had. It was very uh, lighthearted. 
So what'd you give it? I thought it was real fun. It didn't really advance the story plot much, which was the downside, but it's definitely enjoyable. Great fight scene between Cho and Sabretooth. I enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it four. I'm the only bomb we need. <laughs> Fucking Cho, he's so full of himself. <laughs> I gave it three and a quarter. Fine, then. I'm the daddy. I'm going to give it three... Hulk smash! Alrighty, so those were the books we read this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our podcast on original streaming media, Cut the Cord, which none of us are in. But go watch it <laughs> at fourcolornerds.com. I'm just saying, if you're expecting to hear one of us chuckleheads, you're not going to. But you'll hear Ryan. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Edit. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. And then come on back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.